Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. Well, hey, uh, if you're here for the first time, we're in a little mini series uh, that we've been doing these two weekends leading up to Christmas. And uh, we've been looking at a word. It's a word we use a good bit. But it's a word the Bible uses a lot, and the word is glory. And so last week in part one, we started with the idea that as God's prized creation, humanity, mankind, made in his image, that there is a glory that God gives us. There's a glory he intends for us to have. And what we discovered is that if we do not experience the glory that God intends for us, then we will chase the glory the world offers us. If you missed that, you can go back and catch that. In part one, we called it Chasing Glory. Today, we're gonna talk about giving glory. And I think everybody would already know we're supposed to give glory to God, right? I mean, that's, that's just what we're supposed to do. So I, I grew up going to church, and uh, about the time when I was in first grade, the particular church that we were going to at that time, they had something called the catechism. Anybody in here know the catechism? You had to learn this when you were a kid. Okay, I know what kind of church you grew up in, and, and there you go. We know a little bit about each other. Uh, a catechism, for those of you that are new to this, is a, a little booklet. It's a series of questions and answers about God and his word. And it's just trying to train children to know some, some basic truths. And if you learn the catechism and you could answer the questions with maybe a Sunday school teacher or something like that, you got some kind of an award. Well, here's the thing. I was in first grade. I do not remember the award, and I also do not remember the, the questions and the answers in the book, except for one, the very first one. The question is, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Let, let me reword that for you. If you can only accomplish one thing with your life, what would be the greatest purpose that you could spend your life doing? You're born, you live, you die. What would be the one thing that you want your life to represent more than anything else? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to glorify God. And it makes me wonder, and I hope at least some of you are wondering the same thing with me. If God were up in heaven right now and he were talking to one of his angels and looked down and pointed at me, would God say, see that one? He glorifies me. What do you think? Would God say that about you? So here's the question today we wanna look at is, do we know how to give glory to God and uh, hopefully we can come up with some really good answers before we leave today. But I want to lay the foundation of the glory that God deserves. Do y'all know that God actually deserves a glory regardless of what we do? There's a glory that belongs to him. And if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 16, way back there in the Old Testament. And we're gonna look at a song that David wrote, King David. And he actually wrote most of Psalms in our Bible. So this passage also shows up in Psalms commemorating the, the same great event. But what is happening at this point is that David is helping lead the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, back to Jerusalem. And this was really important ceremony for them and a huge celebration, huge worship event. And so as he did this, David wrote a psalm. And here's what he said. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe simply means give. You're gonna see that word a lot today. It just means give. So give to the Lord the glory due his name. He deserves a glory. But what is it and why? 
Well, he answers. He says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. See, when we use the word holy and we think about holy sometimes, we think it means, you know, being really good, really uh, better than, or, you know, very churchy or something like that. That's what the way we use the word. If we even come close to getting it right, we would say it means pure. But what holy really means is set apart. It, it means removed from everything else. So what David is saying is the reason that there is a glory due to God's name, simply because he is God, is that he is separate from everything. He is above. He, he is, there is no equal. There's nothing that can be compared to him. He stands alone as God, above and separate from everything else. So give him the glory due his name and acknowledge that he is alone as splendid, majestic, Wonderful, and he's gonna go on to describe all of these things. So now we're gonna back up to verse 23 for those of you following along where he kind of started the song. And he started like this. He said, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day because it is his salvation that causes him to deserve glory. And what David means by that is, Look at our point in history. We're David at this point, right? And so this is back in the Old Testament, but at this moment, the nation of Israel is finally a nation. They're no longer just a people wandering upon the earth. And they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. They've got their capital city. They've got a king. They've got a good king. David was the second king. And so David is saying, like, what did it take for God to get us to this moment? Think about the salvation of God. Well, there was that time we were slaves in Egypt and God saved us from that. We now have this promised land because God saved us from wandering upon the earth. There was a great famine that almost took us out, but God saved us and our people from the famine. Matter of fact, we started out as one man named Abraham and he was to be the father of multitude of nations, specifically the father of Israel. The problem is his wife was barren, but God saved us from that. God, time and time again, has saved us and brought us to this very point today that we stand here and worship him, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. He said, don't ever stop telling of the saving acts that God has done in our lives. He goes on to say, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Again, what marvelous works? Well, his salvation works, we were just talking about, but also his creation works. When you just look and go, wow, what a sunrise. Isn't that amazing? Wow, look at that. That's just beautiful, God. How could you do that? And, and so David is saying at every moment, we tell of his incredible acts, of the things that he's done, of what he's made, of who he is. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples, what the truth is, they're really not gods. They're just worthless idols. But the Lord See, he's different. He made the heavens. And so what David is talking about is this idea of little G-gods, stuff that people would worship. Well, they made them, typically out of like a stone or, or wood, and they would make this animal-shaped thing, and they would worship this animal as though it was some sort of a god. It was called an idol. And today, we, we've decided that we worship things, and it's whatever we put above God, whatever we pursue, and whatever we value above him. And well, truth is our number one little G-God is the thing we see in the mirror. It's us and our own lifestyle and our own comfort and all these different things we want and pleasure and materialism. And well, we talked all about that in part one in Chasing Glory. You might wanna go back and get that one if, if you need that. But from, from the time of when they would worship idols or worship pagan religions that had an idea of a God that wasn't even a real God because our God is the one true living God, what David is saying is 
You worship this statue made out of wood? He made wood. You worship a statue made out of stone? He made stone. You worship your comfort? He made you. He made the stuff you make comfortable stuff out of. You, you have nothing to compare with the creator of everything. You guys worship these little gods, but he made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. You see, he's worthy of glory simply because of words like that. Because he is majestic. Because splendor surrounds him. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Okay, so there you go. God deserves glory. And the Bible is full of passages explaining why God is glorious in and of himself. That was just one that I chose. There are so many you could choose from. That was one of the hardest jobs I had this week was deciding how much of the Bible not to stand up here and read today because there's so much talking about the glory of God. So now we know we're supposed to give God glory, right? Everybody ready for lunch? Probably not. And, and I hope no one said yes. But anyway, here's the point. Because it's like, well, how do we do that? You see, I, I'm, I'm a very practical person. I like to give answers that we can know what to do on Monday and on Tuesday. What can we do? And, and, and Paul helped us out because Paul said, look, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, great. But what does that mean? Does that mean, so as I eat my Christmas turkey, I'm giving God glory? Look, here's turkey. God get glory. I mean, as I open this door, glory be to God. As I drive my car, glory be to God. I mean, go, so do everything for the glory of God, but how do you give God glory as you do everything? Does anybody want a, a little bit of help, some practical something there? So what I've done is I've, I've looked at a lot of the passages that talk about what gives God glory automatically. If we do it, he gets glory. A plus B equals C, automatically. If we do this, he gets glory. And today I'm gonna to share with you six very simple, very practical things that if you do this, God gets glory. And so here we go. The first thing that the Bible tells us, if we do this, God automatically gets glory, no questions asked, is when we give generously. David just read, he, fit, he wrote this, he finished this, we just read it. He said, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. You see, what we're doing when we give generously as part of worship, when we come into a place like this, or if you're online or even with technology, sometimes whether we're here or not, we, we give online, all that digital stuff. But the point is, when we give in worship, we are saying, God, you are the one that provided you're the one that made this possible. Everything I have is because of you. So it's a part of my worship, not just to sing songs, but it's a part of my worship to acknowledge that everything I have came from you. You gave me the job. You gave me the physical ability to do the job. You gave me the mental capacity to do the job. You gave me the strengths and the skills that I used to do the job. You gave me favor with my boss. It all comes from you. And if we don't do that and we say, but I did this because I work hard, then we just gave all the glory to us. That's why it's automatically giving glory to God when we say you are the source of all my provision. But the Bible actually goes on to tell us that's not the only way we give glory to God when we give. It says this in 2 Corinthians. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. First, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And we're gonna take a time out there to understand what he's talking about. You see, when this was written in the first century, it just said the believers in Jerusalem. That means people who have declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the King, 
the king of kings, their Lord and Savior. In Jerusalem? Exactly. So they are living in the capital city of the Jewish faith, the people who say Jesus was just a man and not God. And so people who live there who used to be Jews and are saying, but Jesus is the Messiah, all of the Jews have said, excuse me, you are desecrating the name of Yahweh. To say that that man, Jesus, was God, you won't work for us, you won't rent from us, we won't sell you food. And so the believers who declare Jesus to be God, the King of Kings, they were starving. Some of them had no place to live. Most of them had no jobs. And so what's happening here is Paul is traveling to other churches and saying, when you give to those in need, not only will their needs be met, but they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. Because as their needs are met, they're gonna say, well, God, you answered my prayer. Well, God, you sent your people to do something for me in my time of need. So when we give generously, whether it is in worship to God or it's to somebody in need, it always ends up with God getting glory. The second way that we automatically give glory to God is praise and worship. And when I say that, many of you, what comes to mind is when you come in a room like this and you stand here and we sing songs for 15 or 20 minutes or 25 if Greg gets carried away and makes the service go long like he did today. So don't blame me when you get out of here five minutes late. Because he knew on Thursday I was already running five minutes long. So y'all get out 10 minutes late. Don't. Anyway, enough said. Just, I'm honest. Anyway, here's the point. It's not just that. It's not just when we sing songs and read the words on a wall. It's when we speak. You can be walking down the hall. You can be sitting on your couch. You can be driving your car and just saying, you know, God, you are good. It's about making declarations. And there are really two primary types of declarations we make. The first one are declarations of faith, where we're saying, God, you are good. Despite what I see right now, I'm going to say you are good. And I know you're good because you have been good and you will be good again because you are good. And I can trust you in that. And we're declaring that God is trustworthy despite the bad day we might be experiencing. And the reason that this is so important and gives glory to God is because as we're saying these declarations of faith, it's for every angel to hear and join in, say amen to. It's for every demon to hear and say, man, I thought we would have got them with that one. I can't believe it. They're still saying God is good. It's for every person who needs their faith strengthened that's anywhere close to you to hear you say. And as a result of that, God gets all of the glory because we declare in faith he is a good God. He's trustworthy. And think about it. How many times have you maybe come into a room like this and you look at the words upon the wall and you're singing? And if you ever actually stop and think, you know, sometimes we get into kind of autopilot, you know, we just wave our hands and we just sing and sing and sing. But if you ever stop and actually think about some of the words, you say, huh, I don't like those words today. I wouldn't have chosen that song today. That's, that's not really how I'm feeling at the moment. Matter of fact, that's kind of my frustration with God. I, I, I don't think he's doing, I need him to do that. But when we say what I feel does not override the truth of God's goodness and we declare in faith, it gives glory to God. The other kind of declarations we make are declarations of awe. When we just go, wow. Just look at the sky, you look at that sunset, you look at the leaves changing colors in the fall, you, 
We've all got our own things. Some of you go to the mountains, you stand on a mountaintop, and you just go, wow, God, look at what you did. You are amazing. Others of us, we're beach people, and we like to go to the beach and go, wow, God, look at this. And You've got to go to a Caribbean beach for like, like where you've got the white sand and the crystal clear water, and you can see all of the bright fish. You just go, man, look at the glory of God. You don't see the glory of God at Myrtle Beach, I'm just telling you. I don't, I don't know what somebody did sinful there, but I mean, it's just like... It's just runny mud water is really all that is. There is there's no glory. You can't even see your hand, much less the glory of God. Anyway, seeing a baby being born or just seeing the, after a, a rainstorm as the sun starts peeking through the clouds and you see those rays of light and they're in gorgeous colors of pinks and reds and orange and yellows and there's a rainbow over there and it's... And I've, I've taught my kids, even from a young age, we'll, we'll drive along and when we see something like that, I'll go, you guys see that? That's the glory of God. And it is because you can't do that. I mean, I dare you. Try it. You put the clouds. You get the sun that come through it. You get those beautiful. No, no, no. It's the glory of God. And when we make declarations of all, God, you're beautiful. God, you're amazing. God, you're trustworthy. God, you're good. He gets all the glory. Now, the third one, I'm just going to go ahead and prep you. It's really important. Right after I say this, you go, amen, right? Okay, you ready for this one? Because number three, God gets the glory when we obey him. Yeah, there you go. I'm glad. Tricked you into that one. Here's what Jesus said. By this, my father's glorified. By this, do you give my father glory that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples? How do we do that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, in the very beginning, it was all about rebellion. The devil rebelled against God. Then the devil led mankind to rebel against God. And that's been the course of human history is that we've put our ways and the devil's ways and the world's ways above God's ways. And so what happens is when we take the simplest thing, every little choice, and we say, I will do what God wants. If it says it, I do it. If it says don't, I don't. Whatever this says is gonna be my rule of life. It's higher than me. It's higher than my wants. Because what God wants is highest. He automatically gets glory when we choose to obey over rebel. Because it's been the story of the history of kingdom of darkness and the history of mankind on the earth. And anytime we reject that history and say, I will choose God over what we have done on the earth for millennia, God gets glory. The fourth one is to be grateful. Psalm 50 says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, he glorifies me. It brings me glory when someone says, thank you, God. You see, anybody grow up with a grandmother or somebody who always said, count your blessings? I think it's really important that we count our blessings. And the thing, though, is we've got to take that one step further because you can count the goodness in your life, but you've got to stop and also acknowledge who put it there. And we give God glory automatically when we say, this is, this is the blessing in my life. Thank you, God. Because what we do is we are automatically recognizing God as the cause of all blessing in our life. He is so good to us. And I know everybody's got their own story. If you'd say, well, this is what God's been talking to me about. And, you know, this is the conversation we have. But the thing that God's been impressing upon me more this year and the thing that I'm experiencing the most 
is realizing how blessed I am to do what I am called to do in the first world in a free country. And just thinking about it, because I know there are people who are called to do what I do, which is to pastor people, to tell them about Jesus, to preach the word of God, and they don't get to come into a nice office every day. Because if there was an office and the government knew where it was, it would get raided and they would be put in prison for preaching the gospel. I get to stand in here and say, hey, can, can we change the lighting? That's kind of like washing my face out on the online view. And uh, could we do a little more blue and a little, you know, a little more something, something? And there are people who are preaching that say, can we turn out the lights so nobody can find us so we don't get killed? There are people who did not wake up to an iPhone in their comfortable bed ringing saying, time to go preach, Jimmy, because they woke up in a refugee camp and they will go to sleep in a refugee camp. And I think it's so important that we just stop and look at how good our lives are, how blessed they are. You know, Kent and I went to lunch this week, and if you've noticed, it's been exceptionally cold here in the South this week, and well, we're Southerners because we don't like the cold. That's, that's why we're here for most of us, and, and uh, it was one of those days where it was really cold, and, and it was also raining, which I just think is just ungodly. It's going to be cold, it should snow. It's going to be cold, it better be dry. I mean, I just, cold rain is like the worst thing out there. Like 34 degrees is like the judgment of God. 34 degrees and raining. That's how you know God's not happy with us. That's a joke. Just, but this is, this is true. Is as we, we went to get in the car for lunch and it's cold and it's raining and it's miserable and, and I went to push the button for my remote start. It didn't work. hard life we live. <laughs> I told Kent, we're going to have to walk all the way to that car before we can sit down on those heated leather seats that will keep us warm all the way to the restaurant. As warm air blows in our faces, blowing our hair with a little. As the windshield and the roof keeps the wet, cold rain off of us. We're gonna have to walk all the way to that car before that heat begins. And he looked at me and said, first world problems. But do you know how often we get upset that we're gonna have to call a mechanic and figure out how to get our car fixed so that the remote start works? Which by the way, it works every warm day, so I think there was a little something demonic going on that day. <laughs> That button works every time my car is warm and sunny and not raining and I don't need it to start early. We wake up and go, man, I got a shoulder problem and a pain and I don't know what to do. And we could say, wow, my back doesn't hurt. My legs don't hurt. Just one part of me hurts. <laughs> yeah. If we really could just see how good our lives are and count our blessings, be grateful. It's important that you hold on to that one. Number four, be grateful. Because the last two, you need to hold on to be grateful. Number five is need him. Sounds a little strange, except it's what God said in Psalm 50. He says, then call on me when you're in trouble. Call on me when you're in trouble. I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. 
And everybody in the world will see I showed up when you said I prayed and watch what God will do. Call on me when you're in trouble. But we don't call on him when we're in trouble. And we've got a saying that proves we don't call on him when we're in trouble. How many times have you heard someone say and how many times have you said, well, all we can do now is pray. <laughs> Meaning, well, you know, I tried to give me the glory by solving my own problem. I tried to prove how strong I was. I tried to prove how smart I was. I tried to give my friend the glory by calling them and asking for some help. I tried to give anybody glory that I could except God. And all we can do now is pray. Maybe he'll show up. I guess we'll give him a little glory for being last to the party. I don't know. And that's why God says, call on me first, because I'm going to get the most glory, because I'm showing up first. Call on me. Give me the glory to show you that I am a good father who comes to the aid of his children. And the last one is endure hardship. If we weren't using two words for every one of these, I would have said endure hardship with faith. Because I'm not just talking about getting through the day by hiding under your bed. I'm talking about getting through difficulties and still saying that God deserves the glory. You see, Paul wrote it this way. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why our lives are so fragile. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For it is all for your sake. Why? So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. Help me finish it. To the glory of God. You see, every one of us wants to win the lottery every day. <laughs> every one of us wants to only leave a job when it was our cho choice. Every one of us wants to have everybody part feeling good and every one of us wants a great vacation and everyone. But here's the problem. God can't heal if somebody's not sick. God can't raise someone from the dead if someone doesn't die. God can't bless someone with unless they were without. And God gets the greatest glory when in the midst of our hardship and we look at the world around us, when many people would say, see, there is no God. He didn't answer that prayer. Look at what you're going through. You, you die of the same disease as we do. You get sick just like the rest of us. You, you have a tough time. You, you have a fight with your spouse just like the Curse God and die is what Job's wife told him. But when we stand like Job and say, no, I won't. I mean, God gave me everything, so why would I be upset when God wants some of it back? See, that's enduring hardship with faith. One of the best stories that comes to my mind is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if you remember this story or if some of you have never heard it, but these three guys, friends of Daniel, have been carried off to Babylon as slaves from Israel and uh, when they didn't bow down and worship to the king, 
they were being threatened with being thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king says, you, you better hope your God saves you. And they said, well, he can. And he just as well might. But even if he doesn't, we will give him more glory through our death than we would ever give you through our lives. Because our circumstances do not determine who he is. And if my chief end is to give him glory, and that's fine if my chief end is that fiery furnace. We really do have to learn to look at what's going on in a different light. And we've got to see that our chief end is not to have an easy life. It's not there. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. There's never been a promise of an easy life and everything going a certain way. But there is a promise that God will be with us. One of the things that amazes me most, and I'll, I'll share this thought with you and be done, is how good God is to us as his people. And here's what I mean by that. Let, let's step away from our Christian faith for a moment. And let's just think about the idea of a God and all of us, not God. God, not God. And in all of these religions throughout history, and maybe you've seen it in some really funny movies of, of ancient times or something, everything they are doing is to try to appease the gods. They understand the basic idea that if there's God and then we're not God, that if we were to come and worship like the most we could hope for, like the biggest blessing that we deserve is just don't kill us. We just want to correctly appease you so that you don't strike us with lightning. Like, like we're, we're just going to kind of do our best to stay alive through this worship service. But that's not our God. Our God is personal. Our God is loving. Our God wants to dwell with his children. And so what blows my mind is when we bring God whatever it is, and let's just be honest, we're not perfect, so it's not always the best. When we come to worship God and we give him glory, he bestows his glory in our midst. Mind-blowing. Wait a minute. You let all of the not God, imperfect, broken, probably complaining on their way to worship you, experience your glory? That's what he does. Maybe some of you have heard the phrase Shekinah glory. Has anybody ever heard Shekinah glory? It's, a, it's used in church. What it means, the word literally means to dwell with. Shekinah means to dwell. So it's when the glory of God dwells among the people of God. There are examples all throughout Scripture, like when he was leading the people of Israel through the desert. And so he gave them a, a fire by night and a cloud by day. It was his glory in the midst of the people. All you had to do was follow the cloud or follow the fire. That's where God was. We talked about Moses seeing the glory of God last week on the mountain. The, the one that comes to mind is probably the greatest example in all of Scripture was the dedication of the temple. Because the people of Israel were finally a nation and so they built this great temple to the glory of God. And as they dedicated this temple to the glory of God, what 
happened during the worship service is that the glory of the Lord, that's what the Bible says, filled the temple so strongly that the priests couldn't even do their jobs. A cloud came, and the glory of the Lord was so strong. And you may say, well, that's kind of cool. wonder why that doesn't happen here. Well, they were doing something really special, for one. You see, they were doing everything that we talked about so far today. Because in the midst of what other nations thought of them and the hardship they endured and the constant little battles they were dealing with, they focused on worshiping God. They gave very generously because they were building this temple and as they told the people, we need to build a temple to worship God, to recognize his greatness, bring. That what happened is people brought so much they had to say, stop bringing. We don't even have place for all of your gold and your money. You just keep it. We've got too much. As a pastor, I've never had to say that. I'm just gonna tell you. That was pretty amazing. As they started their worship with thanksgiving, they had done everything on the list. But this is important. Don't miss this one. This was a nation, not a church. A nation building a temple, not a state house, not an interstate system, not an airport. They were building a temple because they wanted every other nation not to see that they were great, They wanted to see that their God was great. And the greatest building that they could construct as an entire nation, they said, was for the glory of God. Between their giving, between their declarations, between their thanksgiving, between enduring hardship, between everything. They gave so much glory to God that God showed up and gave so much glory they couldn't even finish the worship service. (laughs) Anybody here want that? I want you to think about this. Tomorrow morning you get up and you're in your living room and you're reading the Bible and you're talking to God and you're praying and and you begin to give God so much glory that God bestows his glory right there in your living room. I mean, just imagine how this story goes when you show up four hours late for work. Hey, um, you're not really gonna believe this, but like I was praying this morning and God kind of showed up and made me late to work. I couldn't quite find my front door because the glory of the Lord was so thick. And while the angels were singing so beautifully, I didn't really want to leave anyway. You're probably getting fired. But what a way to get fired. Come on, wouldn't that be awesome? And look, if God can show up in your living room like that, he'll get you a job. Don't you worry about it. But what if we could experience the glory of God? He's done it so many times in Scripture. So I'm going to leave you with a question. It's a whole new way of living. Before you do anything, before you choose anything, before you say anything, and definitely before you post anything, ask the question, will this bring glory to God? Let me pray for us. God, we celebrate you here today. You are so, so good that not only do you love us, but you save us. You display your wondrous works. You bestow glory upon us, and then you even reveal your glory in our midst. God, we're blown away by how great and wonderful you are. We want to take a moment and say, God, help us glorify you better. We want to be people who bring you glory everything we do.
And if you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. One of the most glorious things that God ever did was display his love for us by sending his son to live a perfect life, to die as an innocent man so that his blood paid for our death. And then by supernatural power raised him from that death so that we too can conquer death and have eternal life. It's what we call the free gift of salvation. The thing is that every single one of us at some point in time, we have to exchange the life we've been living with ourselves as king for the one he has for us with him as king. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that wherever you are, in your living room at home or in this room right now. Will you join me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me and now I want to live for you. I thank you that I am loved and I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a glorious life in your kingdom. Amen. Help me celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.